500 years ago He washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck And upon the skull of the man who killed his dad He said, I'm mad, I must eradicate piracy Injustice and cruelty And all my sons will follow me So evildoers will believe that this man cannot die The ghost who walks Enemies beware The phantom's always there But you won't find the phantom He finds you G'day everybody and those for for those who have come in late, you're listening to Expand the Phantom Podcast. This is episode 103, Comics and News with a special guest. My name is Jermaine, and today I am joined by Stephen. Good evening. How are you? Hey! Stephen, what? Zordon. <laughs> How are you going, Stephen? I'm doing very well. It's, it's always nice to, uh, to make it for a special guest, and... Um, yeah, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I could make it today. So, does that make it our special guest not special, seeing you're on, or, or is, is Stephen a special like guest? He's, he's in the Stephen same the company as guest. people like Cy Barry and uh, and um, oh, no, that's it. Like that's that's and Wally Lewis, Cy Barry and Wally Lewis. Those are the only two ones other made special guests you've ever turned up for. Uh, I've made the Sammy J and stuff. And Glenn. Are, they, are they special? You rang in from the car for Sammy J. Look, what, nah, Sammy J part first one. <laughs> and we've also got Dan. How are you going, Dan? Good, mate. Good. Uh, well, hello, everybody. Good to be here. And uh, happy to be talking Phantom Midweek. It's not often that we do a Wednesday night record for the podcast. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's upset some um, members of the family, but they're okay. They're okay. Oh, I was a bit <laughs> Captain Grumpy about it, too. We were, I was all set for Sunday. I couldn't believe it. I could actually sit at my desk in the light and see what was going on <laughs> at a reasonable hour of the day. Well, we've, got, uh, we've got three time zones, don't we? Yeah, we do. So Steve yes. and I are at 9pm, or now 9.40pm. <laughs> Dan, what are you? Uh, it's 8.40 for me. Yeah. Jermaine? Uh, 6.35 for me. Yeah, there not, you go. Not even uh, dinner time. We should probably introduce... Now yeah. That, now yeah, we probably uh... should introduce... So <laughs> the, other, the fourth, the fourth uh, voice you were hearing is... Well, it is a voice in your head, but it is actually from a real person. And uh, Dale, how are you going, Dale? Good, guys. Yourself? Pretty good, mate. Uh, thank you for joining Thanks. us. Now, Thanks, we, we're doing this a little bit special because... Uh, one, we wanted to talk about this exciting little uh, Kickstarter project, which everyone knows about, and we're all getting lots of questions about. But we also wanted to talk about the comics that you've written as well. So, um, yeah, so it's 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 rather exciting um, well, it, it just, that we get to... It just turned out to be such good timing, I think, that um, yes. you know we're coming up towards the start of the Kickstarter at some point soon for the Phantom Board Game. And one of the creators behind it is obviously Dale McCandian, who is um, the author of two of the comics that have come out in quick succession. So it's just seemed like the right thing to do to get him on. Yes, exactly. So um, so that's why we're doing it. Now, I know 102 was a comics and news, and that was a big pile. And then we wanted to kind of discuss this as well. So without bogging ourselves down too much because 
let's face it, uh, we, you don't want to listen. You want to actually listen to us talking about stuff. So, Dale, uh, the board game. Yes. When does the Kickstarter kick off? So originally, guys, we were going to do an October uh, Kickstarter release to coincide with PAX Gaming Australia, uh, which is on this weekend. Uh, but due to circumstances, um, mainly because I'm getting married, it's being pushed to next year. Uh, at the moment, it's looking at March. Uh, we've sort of done a bit of research, and we think that March is probably the best month at the start of the year to launch a Kickstarter. Um, and hopefully we can organize it to have the actual product before Christmas. So that's, okay. that's the plan. Oh, nice. So for Christmas 2019. Right. Well, cool. congratulations so, first up on the uh, upcoming wedding, Dale. That's, uh, that's yes. awesome. We're, yes, the thank you. We're all married. We know what... We've got some idea of what you're getting yourself into, and I can completely understand why you don't want to uh, run a Kickstarter in the month or so before getting married. I think you've made a very sensible decision straight off the bat. Well done. Now, yeah. Does your wife? It wasn't my that... original uh, yeah. like idea, and it got a little flack from the fiance. So um, she <laughs> into line. So here I am. But Fair does enough. your wife know what she's getting herself into? Because there's going to be hundreds of Phantom fans out there that are now going to be disappointed. <laughs> and all of their disappointment is going to be directed at your poor fiancé. Well, if I don't, you know, if one of us doesn't rock up to the wedding, at least the police <laughs> know where to look. Yeah. <laughs> Phantom fans. Yes, that's it. So, no, that's, that's good. So, um... March. That's um, so March. That, that should work that, out well. People over the the Christmas, Christmas um, yeah, yeah, and they've, they've resaved their money again. And oh, here comes a phantom board game. That's yeah, yeah. I can see why March is a, a good good time to kick it off. And it gives us enough leeway to you know, with a lot of the Kickstarters, one thing might sort of trip up another deadline. Um, so if we go from March, people have their money again, as as you said, from New Year's and Christmas. But getting it ready for the next Christmas is good. Hopefully we can get people to oh, buy the that'd presents. Be brilliant. So don't just buy one for yourself. It's you know it's for your dad, your sister, anyone else that you want to sort of get the game for. So we... I think there's going to be a few fan fans out of buying two for themselves, one to play <laughs> and one to uh, keep mint. So well, one to play after Christmas lunch. Yeah, you know, is there a level for that? Domain two sounds good, but if everything goes ahead, there's going to be four different box covers. Ooh. Oh, 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 you, oh. So you might need to have eight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, first of all, are you allowed to so, drop that, that there's going to be four different... Uh, I'm assuming that's well, going to be a did. level. Is this, yeah. how we're, is this how you're paying for your wedding, is it, Dale? <laughs> <laughs> right. This is paying for the honeymoon, yeah. 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 Oh, um, is, that's very exciting. Yeah, so we were so we're looking at getting the rule book translated into different languages, obviously, yes. not just English. Um, and that sort of brought up the idea that you know maybe we uh, as Australians have the Phantom in purple, but wouldn't it be cool if we could do the box um, art with all the different color Phantoms, okay. having yeah. you know red purple, blue, and we'll do a limited edition grey right. cover as well. So you're thinking the same artwork, just different colour uh, suits, basically, for the Phantom? That's what it's looking at at the yeah, moment. Cool. Yes. Did you get so the inspiration from the vinyl sitting, beso- sitting behind you there? <laughs> from from these guys here? 
Yeah, doing the same sort of colours. So the, the blue, the purple, the green. Oh, not the green, the red. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, well, we just know that it's um, different countries are different colours. So I don't, I'm not sure if New Zealand's going to get their brown uh, phantom. I don't know how many we would sell of those. I wouldn't worry about New Zealand. Or Nimbin Green. They're basically green. Australia in any way. <laughs> uh, phantom. So, well, they're not yeah, getting freezing anymore. Just those four. Yeah, okay. All right. So that, that's... Um... That's big news. I'm excited. Yeah. Is that going to be different um, with the Kickstarter? Is that different levels or just a, uh, a different pledge amount sort of thing? Uh, I'm not even sure if I'm using the right language. but So it's most likely, and it's obviously, you know, we're still months away, so everything yeah. could change. But at the moment, it's probably going to be different rewards. So yeah. it'll be the same price, um, but you would go blue phantom cover board or red or purple or grey. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yep. No worries. Now, um, is there any other hints you can maybe give us? Um, Are you allowed to give us? Well, okay, yeah. I'm not sure how much I said last time. It's been a while, I guess, since we've spoken about it. Um, did I mention that Paul Mason was doing a solo game with Kid Phantom? No. No. Okay, so we've got uh, Paul Mason working on a solo uh, gameplay. So it's going to be in the box as well. Um, and I've seen some of the sketches for the... Um, they sort of look like Phantom Dailies uh, that he's doing for the game. So I've seen four of those, and they're incredible. Wow. So he's got another four, five or six to do. Um, and then we're actually going to have a Kid Phantom Mini to go for the game as well. <laughs> now, is that another level? Uh, most likely that's going to be a stretch goal. Stretch goal, um, yeah. So pretend the amount that we need to raise is $20,000 to make the game. Uh, if we get to, say, this is all just made up figures off the top of my head, uh, if we yep. get to, say, 40K, then we can include extra pieces, so the extra mini yep. and all the artwork and everything that goes with it. Yeah. So it's one of the yeah, stretch goals. You sort of, the more pre-orders Which, you get, yeah. the bigger the board sort of gets, the heavier the box, the more pieces. Yep. Yep. And that's generally how most Kickstarters work. Yeah. 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 Now, another question regarding that. You said uh, set up like the daily strips. Now, from... When we played the game in at Supernova, there's a video of it on our website and YouTube channel and stuff like that. Um, we will probably also include a link to that in this podcast yeah. as well. I believe there, from memory, there was those strips that were to the side. Is that the Kid Phantom uh, strips that you're talking about? That it will go as part of that story. So each turn you have, you have another part of the adventure. Is that correct or? Basically, yeah. So yeah. when you're playing, as you guys know, when you played the board game last time, uh, the uh, Phantom Dailies, or what's also referred to as events in the yeah. game, yeah. so it explains the story, um, but it also works as a turn counter. So you have your little yes. meeples <laughs> sort of go along from turn one, two, three, all the way till the end of the game. Um, so Glenn Ford at the moment is doing the art for the main story, and then yeah. uh, Paul is doing the art for the solo game. I actually might have a sample on my desk, and seeing that we are on Skype with video... Right. You just have to ex- if you're looking at this, you're going to have to excuse everyone getting closer and closer yeah. to the screen as we uh, have a look right. at uh, Dale's. Here we go. Okay, are we ready? 
How's that? I need to turn Look my good. phone sideways. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. awesome. I can't see much, but uh, what I can see looks great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just saw everyone's uh, freckles and pimples Boring. on each other's heads. And... I'll go in for a real close. There's there's one panel. There's It's hard for me to see, actually. There's another panel. Oh, wow. There's another panel there. How good's that? Awesome. Yeah. And obviously it's going to be coloured, so we're just working on that. But obviously his work is amazing every time, so it's no different for the game. That's really cool. Awesome. That that clearly is a a big development since um, we, you know, I guess the last time we spoke in depth to you about the game was at Supernova when we played it and all the rest of it as well there. So it's great to see. You were talking about a solo uh, gameplay option, but now it's a... You know, a whole, a whole different storyline, a whole different um, figurine you can be using and all that sort of stuff as you play. So that sounds really Yes. Cool. Yeah, you're right. We we had the idea back mm. at Supernova and we tested it, but the the game itself wasn't written. Yeah. Um, so now we've play-tested it. The game is solid. It's finished. Uh, so I've written up the rule book. Alex is going to be working on that um, probably now, actually. Uh, so, yeah, so that's basically ready to go. We just uh, need the art. Yeah, right. Okay. So, well, I won't just, oh, yeah, I don't obviously have anything printed out to show the camera, but we have some concept art as well for nearly all of the minis. Oh. Um, so we'll oh, wow. have to link that probably closer to the Kickstarter, but they look fantastic. Sure. They, they look amazing. Yeah. For PH, of course. <laughs> and the, fantastic. Uh, yeah, and the uh, the artwork for the um, the board itself because we've we've seen the the prototype I suppose and um, there was talk about the the board is going to be Glenford designed as well. Yeah, so the one that was at Supernova uh, was Glenford's first pass, I guess, um, and there'll there'll be another pass sure. to get towards the finished one. I don't think it's going to change too much. Okay. Uh, It'll just be a little bit, um, maybe more detail, mm-hmm. um, yeah. like sort of lava coming out of the volcano and all that sort of stuff. But everything else is really what Alex is going to be doing as a graphic designer, sort yeah. of laying yeah. that to the top. Um, but it was it was almost done, I guess, the board when you guys saw it. Yep. Yeah. yeah in, in regards to Glenn's artwork, anyway. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong with it. I aced it, so, um, yeah, that was good. <laughs> That's all that matters. You played, you played smart. You played smart, <laughs> not hard. Yeah, well, the other that's, that's tried the way to you do it, didn't they? Yeah, I, I think <laughs> they had a bit of a uh, you know a measuring contest and um, they lost. Well, that's we've it. been over this is old ground. We we know that uh, two of us had fun and one person just sort of tried to win. So you know, hey, winners are grinners. <laughs> <laughs> no one remembers second place, Dan. Just remember that. Yeah. I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so Who did come second now? The by the way. I actually don't remember. Wouldn't <laughs> exactly. And, but yeah, I couldn't tell you for sure. I'd have to go back and watch it. Watch the video again. Yeah. 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 Everyone just remembers who came first. Yeah. <laughs> you won't, also, you won't let us forget. <laughs> yeah, there is that. <laughs> like, really, exactly. that's what this is about. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's it. Uh, the video of my head getting bigger and bigger is not me coming closer to the screen. Um, <laughs> So there's been some other uh, interesting developments, some international developments as well. Would you like to tell us a bit about that as well? Is this about the Swedish Funtiman? Yes. 
Yeah. So in the latest uh, Swedish edition, I think it's issue 21 uh, for this year, um, Mikhail Sol did a little, I guess, article uh, based on the board game. I don't have anything to show you for it. Um, but yeah, hopefully I get a copy of that. And I sat down at work and translated it all from Swedish. Um, and yeah, it's a, it a good little write up. So my photo's in there with Alex and, um, a phantom cosplayer was in it as well. Philip Vincent. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So Phil, if you're listening, you're, uh, in the Swedish books. You're right there. You're famous. Very cool. Right. He, he's, uh, he's done all right for himself since, uh, he's come on here, hasn't he? <laughs> he's, he's been in the newspaper and now a, a Phantom Man comic. He's, he's the go-to Phantom in uh, in Sydney, anyway. <laughs> yes. So um, that that's got to be pretty exciting that the the Swedish market is becoming uh, aware of the of the the game and the Kickstarter as well. Um, not just the the small portion of it that happened to to see the Facebook posts or whatever, but um, anyone who picks up a a Phantom Man comic uh this month is going to see that ad yeah it, it is incredible i sort of wish that we did have um the original launch date uh, going through october um obviously those things would have lined up perfectly um but yeah circumstances yeah. but yeah no doubt they they know about it now mm. so you know that's the biggest thing isn't it I, they're the yes. second probably biggest um phantom group is that correct after australia or um, depends probably, who you talk to. Probably, yeah. yeah. We'll say second, they'll say we're second, but the first, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but there, yeah, it's it's up there with us. Um, I I wonder if it was included in the Norway version as well, um, but maybe not because I think their editorials are usually a little bit different. Um, but yeah, it's you've pretty much probably gathered. You probably you know. Once you hit the free market as well in the free magazine and that, you'll probably hit probably about 80 to 90% of all the uh, of the Phantom audience in those two comics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's what we had to do. I've also um also noticed Jamie Johnson. I've seen his art for the um the universe cards, so they look really good as well. So they're, they're going to be the exclusive ones that come with the Kickstarter. Oh, cool. Yep. Um, oh. And, yeah, that's going to be uh, stretch goals as well. Yep. yep. So whatever it is, every 5 or every 10K that the game sort of earns, um, uh, the universe cards are going to come in the box uh, or at least in the package. Yep. Um, so Jamie has designed three uh, from scratch. So he's done a Waldo... Orkan and Kunusti uh, universe card. Right. So well, that's only, I think, at least it's only going to be available on Kickstarter. I don't know what's yep. going to happen down the track with Fru, but right. that's where you'll be able to get it first. We might that even do something where it has a little Kickstarter symbol or something to make it exclusive as well. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So there is a lot of content. So we're yeah. really um, excited to be not just bringing the game, but also other things mm. that the Phantom fans are collecting and, and want to grab. So. Yeah, for sure. And th- so those, um, and, and I'm, those, those three are all characters, obviously, from the Rise of the Red Dragon story, which the game is based upon. Uh, so that's the the link to it all together. There, you were also talking about a, a trade paperback of Rise of the Red Dragon um, as being po- possibly a stretch goal or something with the game. Is that still on the cards? That is still on the cards. Um, it's it's one of those things where 
you know, you guys obviously have the first two trade paperbacks. Uh, yep. They're incredibly heavy. I believe the second one at least is over 500, 500 grams, um, yep. which puts up postage. So it really needs to be worked out. Um, other, I've seen Kickstarters fail after the fact because they didn't properly calculate postage. Just for postage. Just on postage. Oh, wow. Yeah, you go into the next bracket and you've lost all your profits. So it is something that really needs to be um, thought through. Thought about. Yeah. But, you know, at the moment, yes. The uh, probably not the third, but maybe it's going to be the fourth trade paperback uh, will be the Red um, Pirates of the Red Dragon saga. Yeah, so you'll wow. see my two parts to Rise of the Red Dragon. Uh, it's going to be collected in color for the first time as well. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to be amazing. Um, and also, I said it last time, Julie Dietrich is doing the sequel. Yes. So you're going to get to see a prequel and a sequel to the original trilogy. Yep. I don't know how many parts there are for her story. Um, but I'm actually also writing a special features section uh, exclusively for the trade that people buy through the Kickstarter. Right. Uh, so there's going to be a special making of um, showing how the game has evolved over the years. I think by the time the game comes out, it's a four-year project. Really? Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's insane. So the game has gone through so many different versions and iterations. Mm. Um, we'll actually have photos of how it went and playtesters, and I'll go into all the details about how the cards change and the board and the process going through through. And so that's going to be in the back of the book. Yeah. So very special yeah. wow. uh, features. Uh, and I believe that's only going to be available through the Kickstarter. Right. Well, if, yep, you need that makes me, sense. if you need us to uh, email you that link again to the YouTube clip of us playing it so that you can include that in the uh, in the feature, uh, by all means, um, well, I'll just make sure our message goes across. <laughs> I don't know how, yeah, how good uh, paper um, YouTube <laughs> clip links are. I can imagine people trying to click on it and not getting far. Oh, they'll sit but there yes. and they'll, they'll type it in. And, yeah. They'll type it in. <laughs> so that's, just that's a couple of... Fans, isn't it? Yeah, just a couple of things regarding uh, your comments. I actually got a weigh electronic weighing machine in my phantom room, so I've okay. just weighed the trade paper back, <laughs> and it's oh, just a tick over six hundred grams. Is that Ooh, the wow. first one or the second one? Uh, that's the second one. What, what's exactly. The, what's the first one weigh, Joe? Uh, give me a second. <laughs> Where is the first one? There we go. Uh, it's about the same weight, actually. Okay. Yeah, and look, Daddy, that's a lot of weight for something that's cool. essentially yeah. an add-on. Yeah. Yes. You know, like, really, you're going to the Kickstarter to buy the game. Uh, every, yes. Anything else that we add to it is, is additional. Um, so, yeah, it needs to be well thought out. But could it will you, be, so there's, there's no doubt about that. Just thinking out loud and not to, you know, could you just include a, a coupon for the trade paperback that is then redeemable by sending away for it or something and, and getting the, the, the punter to pay for the extra postage to, to if they want to redeem it sort of thing? Is that a, I don't know, just thinking out loud? I don't know if that's how Kickstarters work. So... That's it's not a bad idea, but you're probably going to end up losing more money because mm. you know, like, and sending something initially has the most charge, right? And then as you yeah. increase the weight in the brackets, it's not as big as just the sure. initial set. 
So you'd probably lose more money having to send two boxes or two packages. Yep. Yeah, okay. Uh, but look, that's, because, that's not yeah, a bad like idea. Sending a, into. I think it's once you get past two kilos or something, it's uh, it goes into one kilo blocks or two kilo blocks. Where exactly, when you, yeah. Sorry. When you're sending something off, uh, I think it's up to 200 grams, then 500 grams, and then a kilo and stuff like that as well. Hmm. It's not a bad suggestion, but it just needs to be looked into. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, just one quick other notice before you said. Um, I'm not sure people know, but Phantom Men actually re-released Princess Sin back in last year, this time last year. Uh, number 22 to 23 of 2017, YouTube videos. YouTube viewers can see the cover that I'm holding up, and that's actually in colour as well. Yep. So it'll be the first time that Australians will see it in colour, but it has it was in colour in uh, Sweden and also Norway, I believe. Yeah, so that's I'm assuming that's I've got my copy here as well. What a beautiful cover that is. Yeah, uh, it is. I'm assuming they're just going to go through and recolor the Phantom, and then everything else mm. is going to stay the same. Because so the coloring is actually really good in it. Yeah. Did you notice that the smoke that goes around Princess Sin is a dragon? I did, yeah. yeah. And it's also red. Yes, yes. It's almost like the uh, artists are paying attention. They <laughs> oh, yeah. It's very, See, it's very well that... done. Yeah. I wonder how that cover would look, though, if it was the red Phantom. Probably wouldn't be as eye catching, would it? Maybe not, no. Actually, um, an ad. Wasn't it a Brazilian ad for Princess Sin? Yeah. I... And she was blue. Oh. Is that because the Phantom is red in that country? That might be the reason why. Yeah, so you saw that that I uh, sent to you the other day. Yeah. Yeah, that was rather interesting. No worries. So is there anything else you want to tell us? Otherwise, I think what we'll do is we'll move on to reviewing uh, the actual comics. I just have one last thing about the game. Um, I mentioned before uh, about getting the rule book uh, into different languages. Yeah. Um, so we will do a call out um, to help with that. So we're probably just looking at uh, a few of the main languages for the Phantom audience, so Swedish, Finnish, Norwegian, uh, Spanish, Italian, Portuguese, Turkish, and anything else, Hindi, German, French, Danish, all those types of languages. Yep. But um, I guess maybe we'll do a, an article uh, for call-outs and, a, and a, maybe yes. an email address as well. Yes. Yeah, cool. That will yeah. be on uh, Chronicle The more eyes on that, obviously, the better. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's mm. I think that's all I have about the, the board game. All right. No well, worries. The, the, the Stephen, big Dan, have you got any other questions? Uh, no questions as such. Just the just the big takeaway for people, I guess, um, out of all of that is is we're now looking at March and to um, to save mm. your pennies because there's even more in the box than uh, than what we were hoping for, I guess. And and for everybody to try and get together and help us achieve all of the stretch goals means that um, uh, you know or someone like Jermaine gets four copies of uh, all of the stuff. yeah i I can't stress enough if you do not get it through the kickstarter there's a chance you're not getting it Mm. Um, yeah so it's it's most likely not going to go to retail shops so you don't think that you're 
going to walk into good games or anything like that. We don't have at the moment. We don't have those deals with them. Yeah, uh, but so I think you were talking last time through. about um, uh, comic stores, for instance, could could uh, pledge the Kickstarter as well and, and purchase 10, 15, 20 copies, whatever, and that that might be a way that so that'd be the only way uh, that retailers could get their hands on it to be able to put it on shelves. Yeah, we'll have a retailer pledge, which is quite common yep. uh, for Kickstarters. Exactly. Um, but even through my past experience, um, the shops don't generally hop on onto it. Um, is that comic book shops? shops or? Uh, yeah, that's mainly comic shops. Um, they much rather wait after the fact. Yeah. Um, but it might be too late. Who knows? We'll, we need to see how the actual Kickstarter goes. So don't yeah. wait for your shop. Get it through the Kickstarter. Basically, that's what and we're saying. if you're unsure about it, listen to some of our past ones, past podcasts where we've explained the process. Um, I've got a friend over here in Perth who is of the older generation. Um, he's he's doesn't know how to do it all, but he just said, look, just, just get me one through your account. So, yeah. you know, I'm sure there'll be other people that will be able to, you know, sort that out for you as well if you're not quite sure or or anything like that. Or you can just talk to us and we can guide you through it, and I'm sure Dale will be able to guide you through yeah, it yeah. as well. Look, most likely we'll actually do a, um, a little tutorial video. Yeah, uh, that's a good um, idea. But, you know, still there are, there are probably a few people that might not trust the website, but it's it's completely safe, so... Yeah. 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 Cool. And with all those tidbits and... News that you've been giving us today is very exciting. I can't wait for it to to kick off. I don't know, is that what you say for a Kickstarter when it kicks off? And, um, yeah, get ready there to, to pledge my pennies and get a game. That's um, it. Would, would Fru be um, being able to do anything to, you know, would they make be able, be able to get pledges and then be able to sell it through the Fru website? Is there anything uh, there? Sorry, say it again, mate. Well, you are saying before, but with the comic shops um how they could buy it oh, yep. they could um go through the kickstarter um would it be possible for through to do the same sort of thing and then sell it online or phantom's vault or anything like that that'd be the same sort of deal as the comic shops uh, well, they're all owned that, by through so i think it's they'll have them <laughs> yeah it, it really depends on how much excess stock you order mm. um but that's i i obviously can't answer for them mm. but i'm assuming they might but what you generally do with a Kickstarter is when you have the product uh, on Kickstarter, it has the extras, and then if it does go to retail, all those extras are withdrawn. So yeah. you actually get less for the same price. Okay. Well, even more um, reason why people should be going yeah, on the Kickstarter. Point. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Too right. Get on that. Yeah. Yes. Alrighty-o, let's get on to the comics that we are going to review. So we're going to start off with the bumper, 600-gram trade paperback. <laughs> uh, I don't think we need to review this. There's already a fantastic video review online about this one. <laughs> True, but you didn't actually... It was more of a preview and you didn't actually talk about the actual yeah, stories. No, you, you wouldn't let us look at the stories. Yeah, no, but I thought that was good. I thought that was good. You gave us a glimpse at the stories, but you didn't ruin it. And I've actually been had a few people asking me about it. Is it worth getting or, or whatever? And I've pointed them to the uh, video, and as soon as they watch it, they're like, "That is awesome! I'm getting it." I've had at least five people. So um, your your video, Stephen, 
worked wonders with at least five sales, if not more. <laughs> Excellent. So glad to now, hear. So what we're going to do is we're going to um, we've got some uh, just a couple. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about the actual book. So like the concept, the color, the idea, the covers, where you can get it, that type of stuff. And then once we've had a bit of a general discussion, we're going to talk about each set of stories. So we'll talk about the Skyband, the Sky, uh, the Skyband, the Skyband, then the sequel. Then we're going to talk about the movie stars, then Jungle Love. Then we're going to talk about um, uh, Slave Market of Muka, and then we're going to talk about Dale's The Child Soldiers of Muka as well. Now, Dale, and I I'm assuming happy to stick around and talk about stories that are not ones that you've written. Yeah, no, all good guys. <laughs> He's been eyeing off Stephen's spot anyway, so this is like his. Um, this is this is like what, his Stephen, uh, a tri- trial by fire, or his, um, you know. Stephen was very lucky to get through trade week. Um, the, uh, the... <laughs> Listen to it. Oh goodness. Oh mate, there is a lot of damage. I keep you here. guys saying. <laughs> Sitting on the fence. Can you yes, imagine having to listen to Jermaine for the whole two hours without me buttoning in? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm going to butt in there and we're going to talk about the... So we'll talk about the colour first. Uh, guys, what was your opinion of the colour? Dale, you can go first, seeing you're the guest. Of the cover? Oh, just the... the so talk about the colour, the idea, the cover and the concept. Just, you know, have a bit of a chat about that and then we'll go through and we'll go around from there. Yeah, so this is um, Freddie Williams II that's done the cover. Um, I I like it. I, I noticed it was quite interesting that through – you guys obviously read the, um, yeah. the Adventures Continue, and they sort of – did anyone else find that quite interesting, that they sort of said, oh, it's a bit different, but it's okay? Did yeah. you want to get this weird vibe yeah. from it? Yeah, it was almost... So you, uh, the adventure continues... It was almost apologising. It was. It was, yeah. it was apologetic for something that looks incredible. Yeah, it's it's not um, probably the Phantom that everyone is used to, but it looks insane. Like, what a mm. grabbing image, you know? You see it on a shelf at a comic book shop, and it definitely would draw me to it. Yeah. Um, he's got the... I guess the, the main issue is the ring on the wrong hand, but... <laughs> Uh, apart from that, it's a really grabbing image, and it's and it is just the cover, right? So that's its yeah. only its only um, tool, right? The seller. Yeah. And I think you make a brilliant point when you said it stands out in a comic book shop. Is that, from what I understand, is the main purpose of it is to be on a comic book shop to grab the people that are casual readers or may be drawn in by the cover, and the cover does that. It's moody, it's got the skull, it's got the gun, it's got, you know, a, a popular name as well in Freddie Williams the second. Um, so it's got all those elements that work, in my opinion. And look, and that's why they pay, you know, artists that are well-known that have only yes. done that one bit of imagery for the whole book. You know, he hasn't contributed any stories or any art for yeah. it, but just the cover. And it's a draw. It's a pull. So I, th- I think it works. I don't know. Just me? I thought no, it was I very it striking. Works. I thought, yeah, very much so. And and just like Jermaine said, it goes, it hits straight to those casual buyers or the, the buyers who wouldn't usually get the Phantom, but they might getting 
they might be getting some other trade paperbacks, and then they see that one sitting beside it and say, oh, wow, that's you know, enough to divert the eyes off what they're after. Because this isn't else. being sold at the news agency. Yes, no, exactly. This, this is, is a, this almost a different book audience. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think they've gone in the right direction. I just didn't think it needed an apology in the um the foreword yep. about it. Just just own it. Yeah. I think they've yeah. done a great thing, so... It's interesting, like, uh, you, like you're exactly right in what you say in terms of its display potential, and certainly my comic book store in Toowoomba here, Kaboom Comics, they, as soon as they got it in, they had it perched up on the front counter there, pride of place next to the cash register sort of thing, and um, they were saying that people come in, they're, all, lots of, they're getting lots of comments of people who say, oh, that, you know, that's a really amazing fandom. Lots of them are picking up the book. They, I think they've sold more than they than they sort of expected there because of the the eye-catching power of the of the book. Got to be honest, yeah. like it's not my favourite um, image of the of the phantom. And um, ring on the right hand, wrong hand is a, is a bit of a factor. Um, but you know, it's the whole um, I guess muscle-bound, really thick-set phantom that probably doesn't appeal to me. Who's more of a Wilson McCoy, uh, you know, Slim Cy Barry type fan, um, but I'm not the market necessarily for this book, as you've said. You know, the, the market is someone who work, walks into a Kaboom Comics or whatever their local comic book store is um, and just sees it sitting on the shelf there and, and mm. picks it up out of uh, nostalgia or, or whatever else it is. Yeah. have It's worth just opening up to the extras page, which is 208, and have a look at the original concept to the end product. And the Phantom is almost a lot slimmer in in the original concept compared to the original to the uh final version cover yeah and not only that it's actually he swapped sides mm. yeah so the ring yeah, the on title. the original concept actually would be the the correct side yeah, yeah yeah and they've obviously flipped it for the uh the masthead for the, the shape of yeah. the masthead the, the long p and that sort of thing. I, I get it i and it's forgivable um, it's just uh, unfortunate, and I can understand why Dudley has taken the apologetic tone. But but even yeah. I can understand. I also I got the same vibe as you, Dale, in terms of maybe opening the message from the publisher with such a long uh, apology. Um, yeah. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, tuck it in the last the second last paragraph or something like that. Um, yeah. And say, look, if you if you're concerned about it, flip to the back where you can see the progress. So um, yeah, it's probably not how I would have structured the 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 publisher's message, but yeah, yeah I don't remember him apologising. I, I just I, I remember him describing it and saying how good it is, but yeah, the, the apology was lost on me. Maybe because I wasn't looking for an apology. <laughs> I thought it was a great cover. Yeah, oh, he, he doesn't. It say, was more of he doesn't say sorry or I apologise. Yeah. It's it's just the tone yeah. of it. Yeah, 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 the tone. That's a good word. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I thought it was good. So what what are your thoughts about the colours in the story? Um, or did you want to maybe talk about the colours as we review each story? That might be a yeah, better idea. Be better, yeah, should we just start with the yeah. first story? Okay, let's do... Oh, hang on, what about the concept? I want to talk about the concept of doing sequels to original stories. Now, uh, Team CC, we've talked about it in the 100th and stuff like that. Now, Dale, as someone who's relatively new to the Phantom, um, does it like? How does the whole concept of having the original with the sequels and the does it make you appreciate 
the original more like but well, well, where do you come from that as someone who's a little bit newer to the Phantom than say uh, the three of us look I, I think it's a fantastic idea um, you know you're actually creating you're creating sales um, I'll talk about the sales side first I guess um, the current artists that are, you know, using social media and everything at the moment are the people that are posting about their involvement in through, you know, uh, Wilson McCoy and, and, uh, Lee Falk aren't doing that anymore. Um, so, you know, you've, you've got these new artists and new writers coming on board and basically creating hype, uh, about, yeah. you know, and taking things in a new direction and, I know the a lot of the Phantom fans probably don't like a new direction, um, but that's why you have the originals. Mm. Um, and I think sequels are really exciting. Um, I especially love. I would love to see some what if stories. I know Marvel and DC have done some what if stories uh, that are fantastic, like Superman's Red Sun. Um, but look, I really enjoy him. Maybe I'm biased because I wrote one. Um, but, <laughs> you know, look, as you said, Jermaine, like I, I used to read it when I was a kid, um, and just love the sort of action. And I've come back as an adult now, and I'm reading the Phantom. And whilst I do enjoy it, and I think uh, it's you know great storytelling. The new, the new stuff for me is is where it's at. I I really yeah. enjoy what the um the current writers are doing and artists and different takes. And maybe that's why I like the cover so much yeah. because I've, I've so, seen the Phantom yeah. uh, and I've, I've never seen it like this before. Yeah. So you raise a, a good point. The new stories is where it's at for you. Yeah. Now, does it give you a more of an appreciation for the older stuff, seeing it in color and along with the sequel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The colouring, um, especially in the the slave market one, um, yeah, it's fantastic because we've obviously never seen it like that before. Um, yeah, I can imagine it'd be quite hard to go through because you'd be questioning yourself, wouldn't you? What would uh, yeah. Lee Falk or Cy Barry? Um, how would they have done it, or what would their choices have been? Um, who who actually did the colouring? I'm not too sure. I believe it was um, Ivan. Ivan Peterson. Ivan Peterson, yeah, he's yeah, he's done he did a great the scans job. and the colours. So he did the the colours for the the McCoy story and the Barry story, and he yep. touched up the colours for the Ray Moore story. He didn't do the colours for that; he touched it up. No, those are scans of the original colour uh, prints, aren't they? Yeah, and then he kind of touched it up where needed. Personally, so in the, my, in, I was going to say personally, my favourite colouring is um, Jason Paulus's for his story. Um, just the way he uses uh, different monotones and just one colour yeah. on a certain panel mm-hmm. and then completely changes it to the next, depending on the mood or feel um, and the direction of the story, mm-hmm. I think is really cool. Um, and then he, go, he can go straight back to more traditional colouring and it doesn't take anything away if anything he just adds to it. Um, yeah. So I, I actually think he did the best colouring uh, in this trade. Yeah. Oh, interesting. No worries. So, um, Dan or Steve, do you have anything you want to add to what Dale just said? Otherwise, we'll go straight to the stories. Well, I think um, 
in that fantastic video review that we referred to earlier, and where the reviewer <laughs> says that um, the colouring of that first story was, was done very well and was was really done to the uh, period of the piece. Well, um, I found out that it really was the period of the piece. <laughs> yeah, I got a message from Ivan, and he's like, I feel a bit like a fraud, but thanks for the nice, kind words. <laughs> As far as the, if we, if uh, referring to the concept, as far as the concept goes, um, I really, I, I quite enjoyed seeing the the old stories in, um, mm. you know, in their full reprinted glory with with colours and all the rest of it, as we've said. Um, I found it really interesting going through reading the, uh, the whole book. The the thing that struck me predominantly was the length of them. Like the the original stories <laughs> are much much longer than the the new stories and i think that i mean that's mm. obviously a reflection of the fact that the old ones are newspaper strips and there was no um 22 page count it was a produce three panels every day and stop when you feel like you uh, have got to the end of your story and and um lee fork was able to just continue the plot and just extend the narrative and go oh well maybe i could wrap it up now no hang on let's throw in another twist let's make a submarine arrive or or whatever yeah. and then the story mm. could go for another three months and um, so I'm sure we'll talk about the panel sizes at some point. Um, that's that's possibly part of the reason why the panel sizes of the original or, or the older stories were so small, is um, otherwise the book would have been um, six kilos, not 600 grams, trying to try and, uh, <laughs> the amount of pages yeah. they would have needed. I'm going to talk about the panel sizes uh, when we get through the stories, but, um, yeah, that's, that's a very good point. So as a concept, I really uh, really enjoyed it. I think you take a uh, you take a risk for um, forkist fans like myself when you go right here. We're going to write a sequel to a fork story because it's a it's a high bar. Um, yes. And, and I think it's 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 a challenge for the for the writers. And I take my hat off to you, Dale, and and uh, to Andrew and um, and to Pitta, who who were the authors of the three. Um, uh, sequels here because you you've got to take um, what I would consider to be some of the best um, comic book storytelling or comic strip storytelling mm. and um, and build on it and go from it and um, not let it down. So uh, the challenge is there, yep. the risk is there. So yeah, Dad, no could, you, could you feel that perceived pressure from all those focus knowing that you had a, a sequel to write to such a, um, a beloved folk story? Yeah, oh, 100%. Like, I even probably felt it from the publisher as well, you know. Mm. So, like, how how far... And, you know, this is... And we've said this before, right? Like, Falkers don't like too much change. Like, how far can you push the letter? Mm. And what can you get away with, with it still being the phantom that they love? Mm. I don't think it takes anything away, personally, as a writer. Um, but, yeah, that pressure is there the whole time. Mm. It's just... It's awesome. constantly on your mind, like, how... yeah. Because, you know, as a writer as well, I I don't want to rehash or redo what Falk did so perfectly. You know, I yeah. have my own sort of opinions and thoughts and, and how I actually write my processes. So, obviously, my language is being, you know, yeah, is put into my story. So, it's obviously going to be different um, and whether or not the fans are actually going to buy into that, uh, especially as a sequel, you know, because you're, you're coming directly from the story that they, especially in this book, mm. that they've literally just read. Yes. They've just mm. just read it and they flip the page and then there's a new story that's 50 to 60 years later. Yes. It's been written, you know, and just think yeah. about 
all the different things that have happened in society since the original story. Mm. Um, mm. There's crazy pressure, but it's it's also fun. I think it's um, like problem solving, um, as I'll probably go into when I talk about my story uh, telling. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. Did uh, did did Fruit give you any guidance? You probably talk about more about this later, but the, the conversation's kind of leaning itself right now. But did Fruit or uh, Glenn Ford just give you any guidance? Um, so hopefully you weren't feeling completely pressured. They'll give you well, you had an idea, and they said, yeah, that's all right. But how about you kind of just change it just a little bit or anything like that? Yeah, look, Glenn's uh, Glenn's incredible as an editor. Um, he really sort of lets you run away with the premise um, and then pulls you back in when it comes to continuity. Um, yeah, it's and there's also just things that he obviously knows that I don't. Um, yeah. I, I haven't read every single um, you know, Phantom story or a character might come back, which we'll, we'll talk about when we get to the um, Child Soldiers in your car that actually happened. Um, so as an editor, I think he's fantastic because he keeps everything in line uh, and and continuous. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think the the beauty fine, about yeah. Glenn is that he's he knows the phantom. You very often. <laughs> <laughs> Which bit? <laughs> the beauty of the beauty Glenn. about Glenn. <laughs> he's a beautiful man. <laughs> Oh, that was, that was Dan, just for the record. Let the, let the record stand. Yeah, that that's right. Um, no, the, the the advantage, I'll use a different word then, the advantage of uh, having someone like Glenn as the editor and also in Fruit is that he has the Phantom background, but he also has the comics background as well. Mm. So Would where you... a lot of Phantom fans are just Phantom fans, where Glenn's has run a, run a comic shop, has you know done comics and all this type of stuff and advertising and all that type of stuff. So he has the ability to be able to come from not just the Phantom point of view, which I think is um, uh, which is useful. Very beneficial, yeah. Mm. So what did we if we 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 said this is going to be a quick podcast? Let's do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what what did we think of? Yeah, um, we said that. Then Jermaine took over. I thought, no, this is going to yeah, be another no, two that's hours. Okay, so let's do the sky ban. Um, Dan, seeing you like to have a bit of a fun, what did you think about the sky ban original? And then the um, so should we do the original each and then the sequel, or do the original and the sequel together? Well, they're kind of like one continuous story. So okay. We, All right. So, yeah. Dan, original and sequel. Give us your thoughts. Well, I've sort of already alluded to, uh, and I think it was probably this one as much as any of the others that I was thinking of when it was just a, a, a narrative that could keep going. And you get the feeling with Lee Fork stuff that he didn't necessarily know how it was going to end when he started yep. writing. Um, <laughs> yes. Which, which I've got no problem with. Um, it means that the, the plot does twist and turn and up and down and... Um, as it seems to be coming to a natural conclusion, suddenly there's a, another element and, the, and it goes again. So um, I quite enjoyed that. This is one of the obviously all-time classics. Um, it should it, I wish that it would say um, in the um, on the on the splash page exactly. You know, it's probably what the third Phantom story is it, or certainly in the, no. the first five. I would have thought. No, this is um, this is a Sunday. And Sunday started in, what was it, 39, I believe it was? 
It's the sixth um, Sunday newspaper story. Sixth Sunday. So yeah. there you go. Yep. Okay. So it's obviously uh, not, so it's not only 41. Right. Yeah. So only five years after the Phantom concept uh, was born, um, and so much of of this story um, is establishing Phantom lore and establishing Phantom tropes. Um, so I really enjoy so many of those elements of it. The idea that you've got the the the, the girl gang who try to pretend that they're in love with the Phantom and then actually fall in love with the Phantom and then um, I get quite upset at the Phantom and um, all that sort of thing. That becomes a bit of an ongoing saga in uh, Lee Fork stories and, and in the character. Um, you know, there's so many... Uh, that, and that's just one example. There's so many different elements of the character that um, you know are established at this sort of a time. So I really enjoy that. And, and again, so many, I think, what have gone on to become classic... Uh, frames from Ray Moore um, that, uh, for instance, we would see a lot of when we look at the the, the Phantom Art show that Peter Kingston and Dietmar Lederwash put together. Um, people are drawing from these sorts of images to to create pop art and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Now, a question: Do you prefer this return of the Cyban story or the original Cyban uh, Skyban story? Uh, I haven't read the original Skyband for a while. I, I really like this one. Um, I, I like both of them, I think. I, it's, I like both my daughters, too. I'm not going to pick which one is my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> and what about the sequel, Dan? Uh, the sequel, and again, you know, a really good example of um, suddenly we've got a really short, sharp extra chapter, I guess, to the to the story. Um I liked I liked the return of Sala. I think I think that um, what um, it was Andrew who wrote this one, wasn't it? I think An- yes. what Andrew did really really well was um, he clearly knew the first story well and tied lots of elements yes. back in. Um, moved it on though, um, you know, said it a few years later. Things had happened, um, and and was sort of dipping back into those characters coming back together. Um, so as a story, short and sharp, it clearly established, and I'm um, going to, what's Margot? Um, she's a really, really nasty lady um, coming in and massacring a village and that sort of thing. So we've got a genuine uh, villainess who um, quite rightly gets her just desserts. Um, Does and, it say how long, how long has passed? I don't think so, no. no. I, I don't no. think it specifies. That was one Keep thing that ambiguous. I thought was interesting. It was enough for Margot to have done her time in prison, if I'm right? Well, no, she escaped. Escaped, okay. Yeah. I think it's 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 safer as a writer not to say when it takes yeah. place. <laughs> yeah, especially too, right. when you're dealing with the... Um, the pedants? Especially the, dealing the with the phantom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Dale, do you want to give us a couple of thoughts on the original and the sequel? This is going to be a four-hour um, podcast if we go through everyone <laughs> back and forth. Um, but yeah, the original on it's, all of it's, four hours. <laughs> we're trying to cut that down. Um, the original one's really good, isn't it? Yeah, as you, you guys said it all, it's sort of um, plot twists here and there, especially with the submarine. Mm. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I don't know. I I haven't read too many of these in full before, I guess. Yep. Normally it's a you know a couple of strips here, a couple of strips there, but um, no, this is fine. That's good. When did is this uh, another trope where he's? Um, I've seen it a few times now where he spanks them uh, into <laughs> the, 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 the vision. Phase. 
<laughs> through a phase in 41. That was in his uh, 20s and 30s when that uh, type of stuff uh, excites I men a little I bit more. Know, I don't know that there was too much of it post uh, probably the he got married. The, the Marshall sisters were probably may well have been amongst the last of the girls who got spanked, but it certainly was, yeah, as you say, it came back pretty regularly enough with the... Well, you, at that time, you can't punch a, a girl, and uh, so this is yeah. how he responded to... This is how he was rough with roughnecks when it came to women. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> what about the news story, Dale? <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um... There's, it's uh, more pages than I thought it was going to be. It's 32 pages in total, which really lets Jason um, sort of free up and do larger panels, which mm. his art uh, needs, I think, because it just looks fantastic when it's a lot larger. And as I said before, his colouring is fantastic. Mm. Uh, not Nothing against uh, Ivan, um, but I'm happy that Jason uh, coloured his own work. Um, it was, I thought it was awesome, uh, sort of the twist as well, that... Um, Margot is really the villain in this, isn't she? Mm. Where Sartre is sort of like the anti-hero. Yeah, yeah, and that last page as well, that splash, uh, until we meet again, Sala, is fantastic. Yeah. Jason's Jason's splash pages are just unreal, and we we keep commenting on them through the Phantom by Gaslight series, but uh, in in glossy colour, they... And and you're right, I agree with the the way that he um, does the colours... it's non-traditional, but it, it's really striking. And the splash pages especially um, benefit from that. Are we still running the, um, the feed? Because I want to show a panel to the camera. Are we still running that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can try. I'm not sure that that's working anymore, to be honest, the camera. but I'll give it a go. Yeah. Maybe yeah. just say the page number. There's, yeah, the so, there's no page number. Uh, 75. Mm-hmm. There's the like people that are listening to it. Can hear it. Yeah. yeah, so page 75, uh, there's a... The third panel on the page, you've got um, Margaret's piece, the red one, mm. and it's you know, it's just good because it really shows that sort of evil side to her, and he's done it completely yeah. just by changing the color, mm. uh, yeah. you know, and he doesn't have to really say, well, the writer doesn't have to say it with words, really, does she? Does he? No. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, those little, those subtle things are fantastic, mm. which I yeah. like. To see. Stephen, mate, want to uh, give us a couple of thoughts? Yeah, well, um, actually, I didn't realise that um, the sequel went for 32 pages because it just seemed to, to be such a, 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 like Dan said, such a quick and fast-paced adventure. Um, and with, yeah, with Skyban, yeah, when you first look at it, you think, oh, crikey, this is long, but you just keep reading it. And um, I think you said um, before about Lee not knowing how it was finished, and when you said that, it reminded me of Lewis Carroll, um, during Alice in Wonderland, and um, there's a, a, a quote or a story saying he sent Alice down the rabbit hole and having no idea what's going to happen next. And kind of like some of these Lee Falk stories, we got um, we interviewed we um, introduced a couple of characters with no idea what's going to happen next. All of a sudden, there's a submarine. Um, so yeah, and of course it's a, it's a, a great story um, and very well coloured, like I've mentioned before. Um, but yeah, to say that the sequel was 32 pages, that, that's surprising. I don't have the book here in front of me, of course, and in the dark. Um, but yeah, like Dan said, oh, I wasn't going to, um, to read it straight away after Skybank because I was sat down there for a good, good while, but then I just turned the page and I just kept turning those pages and yeah, I couldn't stop until I finished the sequel. And then I took a break and then read Movie Stars later. 
Awesome. The sequel? Yeah, I think I covered that in that. <laughs> did okay, <them> sweet. <laughs> All right. I'll raise, like, two, three things. Um, one thing that I like the size of the panels in the original. Like, it's, you know, it, you can actually read the words. You can read the detail on that. I think some of the other panels are a bit too small. Um, but, you know, obviously there's page restraints and stuff like that. The one thing that I find interesting is that they've edited the story and taken out the um, the, the, like the little intro title panels. Like we see the first one on page eight, and then uh, we don't see any during the whole story. So me personally, I'm a traditionalist, and I like to see it printed as you would see it in the Sunday. But I can understand why they were removed from a comic book point of view um what's actually interesting is that sometimes the panels are different sizes like if you look at page uh 28 29 um the two middle the two middle sets of panels they're actually different heights um but that's and even on page 50 and 51 the top panels are different heights as well um now with the sequel to be honest there's not i I, I loved the banter between Sala and the Phantom, like when she um, went and sat on the Skull Throne and says, do I look like royalty? Do I belong on the Skull Throne? I thought that was kind of cheeky, but it kind of like, thought, ooh, ooh, I hope Diana's not around the corner and, and stuff like that. Um, and then I like the bit at the end where, and I think this is going on from a discussion where we've had in the past with me and Dan and, uh, and Stephen and all that as, as well is the Phantom goes, Sala, I am the Phantom, and I'm married very happily, and that was the end of that. So there was that, but, you know, he cut it off where I think sometimes they've gone over that mm. line in some of the Egmont stories. So I was glad to kind of see that. I think that's a better balance than, than some of the other stories. Mm. I'm just um, really pleased that we got on tape there you saying the words I'm a traditionalist. So <laughs> yeah, I was actually going to mention that. I'm like, is this Jermaine? Yeah. No, no, no. When it comes, when it comes, see, you raise a good point, but when it comes to reproducing the uh, artwork as it was, I believe if you're going to do that, you need to produce every Sunday. I think the mashup that we could do of you saying, I'm this, I'm that, I believe this, I believe that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm glad you've had fun with that. Now I'll just quickly go over the um, movie stars and Jungle Love and then we'll go back through Stephen and then go that way. Sure. Um, so movie stars, in my opinion, the panels are too small. Um, the colours are good, like you can still read it, but I would just like to see the artwork a little bit larger, a little bit more so we can see it in uh, um, better detail. I, this is one of these type of stories in the 50s and the 60s in uh, McCoy's end reign is where we have a lot of fun stories. We don't have the adventures of, say, Ray Moore or the big epic Adventures. These are more the you know the short, sharp, fun stories. Um, so this is one of those, in my opinion. I love, you know, it's it's a great fun story. 
Um, and then what I loved about the sequel is the title page of The Jungle Love, which is done like a big uh, traditional movie poster. Um, I believe that was actually done by Glenn Ford. And, you know, you've got, um, you know, with Victor Manua, Heidi uh, Galar, Humphrey Gokart, El Cappuccino, Catherine Hartburn and, and stuff like that. There was a lot of fun in The Jungle Love. In my opinion... I probably, as a, as a, if I was a, just a reader, or oh, hang on, no, 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 if I was a, a forecast, I would probably enjoy Jungle Love story the most because, in my opinion, it, it, it is so Lee Fork and Wilson McCoy in the panel styles and in the just in the campy nature of the fifties, in a sense. Um, and I also loved all the little Easter eggs in there. Now, I think that last count, I think we're up to about 33 Easter eggs in this story. So, um, that will be interesting. And we will do a video talking about all those and pointing out those Easter eggs. Um, Stephen, do you want to have a go at your, uh, your thoughts on movie stars and jungle love? Um, yeah, I just thought it was a fun story. Um, I couldn't remember reading it in the past, but, um, yeah, like, like you said, um, the, the, the sequel, um, so I, I, um, I was just busy in between devices. There, anyone who, um, was watching the, the YouTube, um, but so I've lost my, lost my notes, but <laughs> I really didn't, <laughs> I really didn't, um, I, I really enjoyed, um, yeah, but the fun that, was had in the in the creation of Jungle Love. I think yeah. the, the creators in that one had a have a heck of a lot of fun um, with the well with the the authorship, but also what's um, happened in the in the artwork. So I don't know if all that all the Easter eggs um, that was it was Shane Foley, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, I was. Oh yeah, I'm not sure if all the Easter eggs were written there for Shane to do, or whether Shane just put it himself. Um, but it was very much appreciated, and it was a, a good fun story, and it. There's nothing like a dumb criminal to uh, to give you a chuckle. <laughs> yes. Uh, Dale. Yeah, I um, I think I prefer the Skyband story over this one. Um, also, what you were saying before, Jermaine, about the panel sizes being smaller, <clears throat> they're working with more panels. Um, so yeah. sky bands only three per tier, whereas, um, movie stars is four. Um, yeah, four per so they, day. yeah, so that's really why I guess it's a lot smaller. He probably could have increased it a, a little bit, a few mils on the side, but then you run the risk of going into, um, the parts. Yeah, yeah. Not only that, but also just on the edges where they sort of get cut uh, and the bleed. Um, so I don't know how much bigger. He could have done it. And then, as uh, Dan said before, how many pages um, are we going to have in this book if we tried to space that out? Um, so I think that's uh, – yeah, for free, that would have been a hard decision to make. Um, yeah. But maybe it's an economical one. Um, I completely I, agree. Yeah. Jungle Love. From a, yeah. Sorry. I was going to say Jungle Love has an incredible cover. Uh, obviously, the Gone of the Wind parody. <laughs> Uh, cover which is fantastic um 
I don't know. I I, I enjoyed the story, but I, I prefer the more serious ones than the the jokey ones. Yeah. Um, it was still really good. I like Shane's traditional art, and um, Anderson's storytelling is quite good as well. But as as I said before, Jermaine, they um they really captured, I think, what Falk was trying to do. Um, which I guess not a lot of the new writers uh, or artists uh, are doing, but they've they've captured that really well. Also, the premise is amazing. I love the idea that we actually get to see a few pages of the movie uh, that they're filming yeah. <laughs> in the original. I thought that was great. I actually wanted to see more. Uh, um, yeah, it's a page point, yeah. and it sort of cuts out. You're like, oh, yeah. But yeah, that was that was. Um, I enjoyed it though. It was pretty good. Awesome, Dan. Uh, look, I, without trying to repeat anything that other people had said, that I, I would agree with most of what everything else has been said with the movie. Oh, stars, so should we move on then? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, with if I can add things that weren't said with the movie stars, yep. I think that uh, uh, stories like this sometimes go. Oh, it's a fun story. It's a jokey story. Um, not as serious. Let's move on. What I like about stories like this, and um, there's a whole range of them through, particularly the McCoy era, is the character development. And we see, you know, people go into the jungle as um, as wimps and come out as men. And I think yep. we really see that with uh, with uh, Carrie, is it Carrie Gary? Yeah. Um, the the male movie star, and um, it yep. starts off, uh, you know, people. I think the People are starting to realise now how progressive Fork could be with uh, with some of his representations and his ideas. And to have early in the story, um, uh, Ritalana, the female movie star, to be quite um, forthright and strong as a character was was excellent. And um, to make this you know heroic movie star quite a wimp and and uh, lacking in courage, a bit of a coward, and then to see his development. And we see that, in, as I said, in a number of McCoy-era stories. Um, so yeah, I really like Cry it. Baby, Fluffy. Yeah, exactly. Um, even the um, the slimming of Prince Tagon. And, and there's a, there's a yeah. whole range of, of stories in that era that, that have that sort of a change come across a person who has learnt from the Phantom through the, the examples that the Phantom has and just watching him go about the way he does things to realise that, oh, hang on, I'd be a better person if I acted a bit more like, mm. more like the Phantom. So I really yeah. like that element Camp of it. Princess. Yeah, exactly. There's a, there's a ton of them. Um, so smaller panels, yes, but um, you know, for all the reasons we've said, I understand that, and it's still readable, and um, and that and that's the main thing. <coughs> I like, I really like the colouring um, through this. It is it is that more traditional, but it's still got the the, the gradients through the greens for the jungle. It's not just um, block colours and that sort of thing. Uh, jungle love, I really, um, uh, I. I, I 100% what Dale said there about um, watching the movie, and, and um, I, I was a bit disappointed that it only went for a bit, bit over two pages. I was, I was also keen to see more of the film. Um, I don't agree with, well, from what I saw, the reviewers at the end of the film give it a bit of a pasting, and uh, I don't know. <laughs> the second and third act must have been pretty ordinary, apparently. So um, what I liked about this, um, not just... Uh, I think that once the film finished, probably the, the without being rude to the author, I think the, the, the storyline went downhill a little bit. Um, I, I didn't, you know, the stupid bad guy was he was pretty stupid, um, you know, to to make the mistakes that he did. Um, 
I really like Shane Foley's. Um, there are times there are panels which could well have been drawn by Wilson McCoy. Um, so I was really impressed with that. And um, I'm interested in the. I haven't gone through and done the count of Easter eggs like you have, Jermaine. Um, obviously, there's a ton of them in there. I'm interested to know what you count as two separate Easter eggs, for instance. So if there's a, uh, if I can give one away, let's go in the bottom right-hand corner of page 125, um, and that's the Phantom sitting down to watch the film, and he sees the um, the opening of the, the the opening screen of the film, and it says Peter Anderson. Productions and Fruit Australia. So, do you count that as two separate Easter eggs because it mentions Pitt and it mentions Fruit, or is that one Easter egg? Um, let me have a look at this list that uh, that I've got. Well, I don't, I, I don't really know. The one that I've got, I've actually got uh, a list from Shane Foley, and he hasn't, he's only included the Wilson McCoy ones. Okay. So, um. Yeah, so, but yeah, there's those ones, but I think, I don't know, I guess depending on, uh, depending on anyone's mood, it could be either or other. Oh, look, every, every second panel has got, um, yeah. has got some sort of reference somewhere, so, um, it's certainly. Even like the movie posters as oh, well. Oh, of course, and, and the bills on the, in the, in my, the... my favourite has to be page 127. When the diner says, welcome to the Knife and Falk diner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. That is unbelievable. Yeah. I, I quite enjoy the scenes inside the police station where there's the yeah. the posters. Have you seen this tattoo? Remember you, town. Um, there's a wanted poster for bullets. Um, you know, there's there's so many. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a delight Awesome. It is a delight to read. Okay, Dan. Yes. Slave Market of Mew Car, and then the sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll probably get be gentle. Uh, Dale to talk <laughs> most about this story, seeing it is his story. Yeah, fair. Um, I, I've got probably more questions than, than comments about the, um, the, the, the sequel. soldiers. Yeah, so um, I'll get to that in a, in a while. Um, the Slave Market of Mew Car is one of my favourite um, Phantom stories. Yep. It, it certainly would be in my top ten. Um, I've read the the Avon novel a number of times, gone back and read the the comic a number of times. I think the artwork in this one is is stunning, and it's, it's some of Cy Barry's. Um, you know, he's really on his game here, and we know the story about how he's trying to match Wilson McCoy's art and then developing his own style and all that sort of stuff. Um, the the Salden is a is a genuine bad guy. Um, you know, anyone who's prepared to to look like a, a keeper of the peace in in terms of being a warden of a prison, but then on the in, in in the other hand, selling men into slavery for profit and that sort of stuff. It's got that character development of the um, of the patrolman in particular. Um, you know, there's there's so much good stuff in in. Um, the original slave market of Makar, and there's a very good reason why it's become such an iconic story. Um, I thought then that the um, the, the follow-up, Child Soldiers of Makar, um, was interesting in the sense that it um, wasn't necessarily... Um, I don't know, there's sequels and there's sequels, I guess, and it, it wasn't just let's pick up the story and continue. Um, it was a let's go back to that place... And again, you said before, Dale, that you know the, the, a good author is not necessarily going to give a, a time frame on exactly how long uh, after the original it was set, and, and I don't think you've done that in this. 
Um, but it is uh, going back to that same place, but this time Diana's heavily involved, which I found really interesting um, because she wasn't at all on the scene in the, in the first story. Um, and she's there in a really powerful way. Um, you know, the Phantom's really gone as her handbag in a sense um, of being uh, accompanying her on her mission to go into um, Mukar, and then of course it turns into an adventure that he gets heavily involved in. So um, I really enjoyed the story, no doubt about that. And I think it's, it's um, and again, Dale, you mentioned about the challenge of writing a story 60, 70 years after the original. Um, this is a very modern story, The Child Soldiers of Makar, mm. um, in, in terms of the way that that uh, area of the world and the problems that, that people in those areas face um, are, are depicted. So, um, no, I really enjoyed it. And um, it's a very different story to the original. Um, and yep. as I said, it's a, it's a different kind of sequel to what Jungle Love was, was for instance. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So it's actually 17 years after the, uh, the original, if you do some quick maths. 17. It says, then, then Warden Saladin gets 20 years. And then at the end, he says to the prince in jail, I still have another three years to serve. So that's when I uh, talked about the story, I was going to go into that. That wasn't me, that was through. Um, But I'll I'll let you guys do your reviews first and then I'll get into it. Uh, So do you want us to, like, ask questions, raise points, and then you answer them all and go from there? Is that how you want to do it? Uh, It's up to you. I I can just talk generally about my writing process and story and um, a couple of things maybe then you can ask questions after well i'm, I'm really i'm interested about your about your writing process and I'm, I'm reckon we all are too but um well dan and i both being english teachers even though um haven't taught english for the last couple of years you know we fancy ourselves a bit of a writer you know we can um we teach the kids to write but how is it actually being a writer what what is what is your process as you as you're writing a a, a comic yeah, so if we're just looking at the actual, it's probably a bit boring, but the format <laughs> of it, um, comic scripts are written the way that I write them anyways is much like a movie script because um, I do have a screenwriting background uh, and education. Um, so I'll actually set out a page um, and write the panels and the descriptions and then go into dialogue. Um, and I really just use it as a blueprint uh, for telling the artist uh, what to do and where to go. Um, but even in saying that, I do keep it quite loose uh, so that I'm not telling the artist exactly what they need to draw. Um, and I don't really yeah. like to put angles in because, you know, it's a collaborative. Comics is collaborative. Um, you know, I'm no Alan Moore, so I can't describe a panel over multiple pages, uh, <laughs> nor, nor would I want to. Um, and, you know, and then you you get a pleasant surprise, I think, as well, um, when the comic sort of comes out and you go, oh, cool, so that's um, where they took it. Um, so that's that's probably the formatting uh, of a comic and the, the way that I do it. Um, this particular story, though, uh, as I said before, the pressures of writing a sequel um, is a lot, especially, you know, considering that it is a fan favourite um, mm. Am I correct to say that Cyberly's first daily? That's yes. Right. Yeah, you know, so yeah, the, the pressure was there. Not only that, but I, I actually knew um, sometimes as a comic writer, you don't know who the artist is going to be. 
um, or it changes. But I knew from the start um, that Romano uh, Filmang was actually doing the art. Mm. Um, so not not that I I did write a little bit different, knowing that he does do females uh, incredibly well. Um, so I'm not <laughs> sure that you know Queen, uh, the villain uh, Queen Razen was a female. Um, so there's many things to think about when actually just even coming up with the premise. Um, when when I came up with the idea for the child soldiers in my car, um, after reading the original, uh, I wanted obviously to not so much as Easter eggs, but continue on. So use a lot of the characters that you mm. had seen. Uh, I guess that was what makes it a sequel because you've just read something and then it continues on. Um, but I wanted to set it a bit sort of further in the future. Yeah. Uh, um, now, the, sl- the slave market sort of topic um, is of- obviously an atrocity, um, and I was thinking, how do I up the ante here? Uh, what do I do to make Mukar in a sort of worse uh, situation? So I started looking at uh, human trafficking, um, but as we all know, I think the sexual exploitation, uh, especially of females, has been done quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, um, it's it's probably not that progressive of a story uh, now. Um, so I was doing a bit of research. Uh, I was reading uh, Human Trafficking Around the World, Hidden in Plain Sight by um, Stephanie Hepburn and Rita J. Simon. Um, and I was just sort of seeing if there was a different angle that I could approach the story because uh, I sort of settled on uh, human trafficking. Uh, I'll read off some facts just to sort of show you why the story split into two. Um, and these are all the things that I'm thinking about when I'm creating the premise and writing it. So 22% um, currently uh, is forced sexual exploitation. Then you've got 10% that are state and post forms of exploitation being some examples would be rebel armed forces, which is where the child soldiers come in and Queen Razan's creating a forced rebel armed force. Uh, but for me, uh, reading it, um, reading these stats was actually 68% is forced labor exploitation. So I think when mm. people hear about human trafficking, your mind instantly sort of goes to sexual exploitation. Um, and that's only 22% compared to 68%. Yeah, which is forced tape. Yeah, it's massive. So it's obviously a bigger world problem. So I mm. wanted to touch on that, which is what King Baha um, is doing. So yeah. you know, I started off the story with going down the, oh, look, we have child soldiers. That's obviously quite evident in some places like Africa at the moment. Um, and then sort of leading into he was actually doing a similar thing in a sense of still human trafficking, mm. but it's actually a, a bigger problem. Um, so you're, you're touching upon two of the big problems, two of the big three in a sense. Yeah, exactly. And I, I didn't want to touch the sexual exploitation because I believe it has been done before. So, yeah. and, and my story as well is only 22 pages. So how do you mm. get those massive sort of topics mm. uh, into a very small space? Um Luckily, uh, Phil Meng uh, is really good at getting six to seven panels uh, onto a page without um, losing anything, without overcrowding. Mm. Um, And, you know, as you said before, Dan, it is quite different 
to the original. Uh, it's actually, it's probably more of a talkie. There's there's a lot more dialogue. Certainly, um, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Uh, but it's just because I had so much to say. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pages one eighty eight and one eighty nine. I've got a fair bit of dialogue. Yeah. And look, you know what? I, when I'm writing, I I don't mind doing that as long as it's not in the middle of an action scene. Um, yeah. You know, especially because it is the setup when you have Diana and King Baha sitting down, um, setting up what the actual story is going to be. Um, but all the actions, all the action pages, there's hard, there's not as much dialogue. It's literally there's like two, probably two places. Um, you know, there's the 188, 189, which is setting up Prince Baha. And then mm. there's probably 194, 195, where you're setting up the um, the child soldiers element of the story, there's, and maybe 196, which if, is the... Um, if you yeah. compare that against a page like 203, there's 1, 2, 3, yeah. 4, 5, 6, 7 panels with a total of three dialogue and uh, bubbles and 10 words total. So... Um, yeah, it's certainly not over the. Um, there's a great, there's a great balance. Yeah. So as a as a writer, I guess when you're doing comics, um, you obviously have a reader's flow um, to think about, uh, yeah. and especially if you're doing an action scene, um, including less dialogue slows them, uh, sorry, speeds them up, so it doesn't slow them down. Yeah. So they yeah. actually read that page faster. Um, so the action happens like talking. Exactly. So the action's actually happening faster as they're reading that page and they're flicking pages faster. Mm. Uh, yep. So those are all things that uh, comic writers think about um, when they're writing a script. So you mentioned before, uh, well, when you were talking about um, uh, Jason Paulus's colouring and, and artwork in the first story, um, you you talked about the the way that you know that red panel, for instance, really enhanced the the anger in, uh, or the evil in that character. Did you give, you, I gather you don't give a lot of direction to the artist in terms of I'd like this panel to be predominantly dark or, or bright or anything like that, or, or colours? Um, I will in regards to scene setting. Um, so whether something's at night or dusk or something like that, mm-hmm. um, uh, especially with colouring in regards to outfits, uh, so the green with the red um, headscarf or bandana uh, was all written into the script. Right. But everything else is really left up to the colorist uh, in my eyes. I don't. I didn't know who was coloring it at that point anyway. Um, so no, I don't traditionally do too much uh, information on colors. Okay. What about Diana's um, yeah. uh, attire? So page, yes. page 190 and 192, that, that seems very Felmang and that's not all so you, much McCanty. Or... <laughs> that, that's all Felmang. He Felmangs those pages. Um, <laughs> Felmang those pages. He Felmang them. <laughs> oh, that's going to be up there with um, a Forkus and, and all those other ones now. Felmang. Um, He's been Felmanged. Yeah, like I didn't describe exactly what Diana was wearing on those pages. Um, so maybe the fault lies on me. Um, but yeah, <laughs> you, you it gave is what him it is. He license and he took it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So does it, when, you, when you see something like that, do you go, oh, hang on, I'm trying to write a serious story about, um, uh, you know, human exploitation and trafficking and those sorts of images are appearing 
does that detract from the overall message that you're trying to give or does it not worry you or uh you're right i instantly uh, thought about it um but because i wasn't talking uh about sexual ex- exploitation um and also it did i guess fit the setting like they are in the bedroom Mm. Um, yeah. And they are a married couple. Uh, it, it isn't so uh, thrown in or to the point where you go, "Wow, she would never be doing that." Yeah. Uh, yeah that's a good if point. it was, like, say, if she was walking down the street and she was wearing her lingerie, then you'd go, yeah. "Okay, there's something wrong here." Mm. Um, so, like, but look, Saba in Phantom's World, for instance. <laughs> I read that one, but I'm going to take your word for it. Yeah, uh, you're not missing out much. <laughs> uh, yeah, so in this instant, um, I, I was cool with it, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it, I did have to think about it, though. When, yeah. when you read, you go, oh, that's not what I wrote. And then I, yeah. because there's such a long time between seeing the finished comic and actually writing the script, I actually did go back to the PDF and wait, did I write that? Like, mm. you know, yeah. like what was going in my head at that moment? Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, no, I didn't. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in the clear. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen, I, you said that your battery's about to go flat, so do you want to shoot Dale some questions and then before well, your well, battery got, goes flat? Well, I've got no more with the with the trade paperback. Um, oh. I think pretty much what I've well, pretty much just said it before when he. <laughs> how we got going on that little um, uh, talk there, which yeah. was which was good actually. Yeah, um, it was very insightful. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, sorry, listeners, but my devices are going to drop out very very soon. Um, I, I might be jumping the gun here, but I can just quickly go on to Rise of the Red Dragon. Part no, two. you can't do that. No, oh, it's, it's, it's a good on. excuse to move forward. Look, we all agree that. Oh, even even I've got, awesome. got one question. I've got one question. <laughs> yeah. One question with this one, then we can go to the Rise of the Red Dragon Part Two. At the beginning, you said that the bit at the end, with um, uh, like you said something about when I made mention of the 17 years that uh, Fru or Glenn mm-hmm. added that in. Could you expand a bit on that? Because I thought I I, I like that because it did kind of tie the two stories together and that. Yeah. So when I wrote that scene, um, originally the dialogue for when um, King Baha walks in and sees Solidan, um, it was uh, I'd say more subtle. Um, it was more insinuated um, that escaping Broomsby. Uh, suicide would be the only way up. Um, yeah. And obviously the Easter egg there being that it's the same dog collar uh, from Devil uh, from so that the first story. That's all me, yep. Because yep. um, I like that. Mm. Yeah, that's that's all in the original script. Uh, but then uh, someone in uh, the editorial uh, process uh, just changed it, I think, um, to make it a little bit less subtle. And then they also added in the, the timing. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't know uh, that Soldan was released in City of the Skull Marks Men. Uh, I, don't I think have I gave you praise for that in three. one of the podcasts as well, so sorry. <laughs> that's all right, I'll take me. Um, but, yeah, that look, that's um, that's the editing, uh, editing stuff, I guess. But yeah. you know what? And I, I was – not that I was disappointed in that, but I wasn't sure if 
it ruined the timeline with the following scene. So because I've got Kit and Heloise uh, in yeah. their sort of child uh, stage, mm. uh, and I, I well, can you guys confirm or deny? It, does that um, timing now with that other story being three years, you know, three years Soldan's release? How old is uh, Kit? They're not in that story, uh, but in okay. to be honest, the, the whole fan—the really whole mentioned. fan and timelines totally out of whack anyway. So it doesn't really. Um... Oh, it matters enough that, um, but but the thing is, with the original Macar story, Diana and the family and and whatever is not mentioned at all. So yeah, yeah. So, so it's pre-marriage. He might, he might be married. He might not be married. He's probably not because they're not. No, uh, he'll be pre-married. It'll be pre-married because the Phantom wasn't married until uh, 1977, and this was a 1960 story. Oh well, if you want 61 to or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. If you want to do so, it. So, you know. So 1961. Yeah. So he was not married. Um. So yeah. Yeah. No. So the 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 timeline certainly still fits. There's no there's no dramas there. And yeah, look, that's just one of those things where things get changed uh, down the track, and so I have no control. What what percentage, if you were, you know, is is it even possible for percent put a percentage on, um, you know, how many of your words as you wrote them ended up in the in the final story? I mean, I mean, I'd imagine it's you know ninety ninety five percent or more, but um, would that yeah, be... yeah, it's it's like ninety nine percent. It's it, he's only really they only really change uh, a couple of things here and there if there's a continuity error. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which which uh, his release, I guess, and, and, um, they considered to be one of those. Yeah, and I guess um, Glenn Ford is someone who is going to be right across folklore, if you like, and um, yeah. he's going to be able to slot the stories that are coming in as sequels into um, in, into that folk, uh, folklore, so that uh, it, it fits neatly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I don't have the the resources or the know-how um, to get it right every time. Uh, and that's why you need someone like Glenn Ford going over it with a, um, you know, toothpick. So, sure. yeah, I'm yep. thankful for it. Um, but, yeah. Just well, I, I, think it's, I think it added another level to it, that editorial change of the, um, what do you call it, of the... The timeline. Of the timeline with the the other sequel that was written as well. So it's like the whole, the whole three stories, in a sense, now, because of that just that little change flow nicely together and stuff so i think that was well it it places it doesn't it it places it as like part two of three exactly um, yeah which Mm. it i didn't realize there was another one we've sold in so there you go go. yeah all right so steven we need can i just say one thing before we move on quickly um you guys probably saw that i've got a couple of pages uh from jason paulus original art yeah um yeah, I was I was just gonna say I would love an original page from Felmang um, from this story. So if anyone, if uh, you know Romano, if you're listening, contact me and we will talk because I would love to buy a page. Now I just you, wanted to say that. Are you gonna? <laughs> would you like to nominate a page? I mean, I know which pages I'd nominate. <laughs> yeah, I, but maybe I won't over the air in case someone snatches it before <laughs> yeah. I get to it. And um, then they try to sell it to me for double the price. Yeah, yeah. Or your uh, fiance hears that you want uh, pages uh, one ninety and one ninety two. Only one ninety, please, filming. <laughs> that's 
That's for the other offers, I think. <laughs> um, we've got Phil Mang's email address. So we'll slip it over to you. Perfect. Cool, cool. All no right, so trade paperback. Everybody should go out and get one. That's a, that's as thorough as a review as you're going to get of it. And um, yeah, I really especially with Creator Insight oh, as well. Absolutely, it, it's fantastic, and we we really appreciate it. Now, while we've still got Steve on the line, we've got to get Creator Insight on Rise of the Red Dragon um, parts one and part two. Um, so, well, Stephen, did you have some questions or things you want to raise, and then we'll let uh, Dale go to it before you run out of juice. Yeah, I'm just watching the battery. It's going to be quick. Um, well, what I've got here is my comments that I usually do for for um, the down. comic review. So mm. maybe I'll just say those and, yeah. and, and see how we go. Um, so starting off with the cover, I, I really like the way the cover's done. It depicts you know, scenes from the Red Dragon 2 story. It's dynamic. It's action-packed. liked having the two bad guys in what I, saw, I call it an overlooker position. So Waldo... Um, more involved with the amulet, so it seems like he's going to have some um, uh, more. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, some some more involvement with the story. In, yeah. Um, and he's uh, proactive. I've actually written the word there. Proactive in the story, whereas Princess Sin is a step back, watching it all unfold. And so you get that hint from the um, from the cover. Um, the fans depicted um, in charge, of course. Um, I don't know about Willie, but using the the sailor superstition to his advantage, always it's always a bit of fun um, when he's doing it that way. Um, art style, Paulus's dark style with dynamic scene placement. I thought I thought it was just um, the, probably the best way I could describe it. We, we know his style now, so it's definitely done in his style, and I thought it was quite dynamic. Um, the villain, of course, is a new uh, sorry, it's a return villain uh, with Princess Sin is obviously in charge, but doesn't. Uh, and doesn't take failure lightly. Um, for uh, I haven't got the comic in front of me, but the the one where you know you want to end up like him or whatever she says. The, the yeah, page ten. Change. Yep. Um, Waldo seems upset to be in the gang in the first part, hmm. but seems to revel in his part of the gang in the second story. So hmm. you know he he kind of dragged in against his will because he did something with some poor lady. Um, and yeah, seemed a bit upset. There's a, a scene there with his hands, with his head in his hands. But now he seems to really um, enjoy being a part of the gang. Um, Orkin, he's a he's a grunt leading the fighters. That's what he does. He, he, it's, um, so there's, there's three real villains in there, with Princess Sin, of course, being being in charge. And in my other little notes, this is a, a, a question for you, Dale, being the the bloke who wrote it. Are the J? I always thought the J Jungle Patrol were. were well-funded, so why are they now taking coal money? It seems they're taking coal money. It seems a bit dirty. They need to wash their hands of that a little. This seemed a little bit off, you know, with... Um, oh, what was her character's name? It's not Reinhardt, or was it Meinhardt? Tanya Meinhardt. Yeah. Um, yeah, just yeah, a little bit off. off. Yeah, there's one for you. Um, but I really enjoy the adventure at sea, a rollicking adventure I've written. I like the play with the superstitious sailors. Good to see his animals get a good deal of the spotlight and help to help the story to tick along. Um, I thought the Phantom had some great one-liners and a great depiction of an angry devil. And then I love it at the end. Oh, I'm sorry they didn't like to play or something like whatever the line was. I don't, they didn't I thought, get to know you properly, I think it was. Yeah, they didn't yeah. get to know you properly. Yeah, I thought that was a bit fun, yeah. Yeah, that was a good So, one. So what's this cold money? What's happening here, Dale? What, what, how come the poor Jungle Patrol, have you got a backstory? Why are they what, they're down on their luck now? 
Yeah, so I, I um, and this probably goes into what I was going to say before about editorial uh, influence. There was originally in part one a couple of pages that were taken out, uh, which would explain it a little bit more. Um, I've actually seen the pages as well. Uh, Jason Paulus did draw them. They just didn't make the final cut. So hopefully um, when we do the Red Dragon uh, trade paperback, uh, we might be able to put them in as special features. Um, But basically, yeah, I was trying to tell a story that would force the Phantom's hand uh, into helping out a mining Mm. company. Uh, so I thought the two leading factors there would be if the Jungle Patrol needed it uh, and if his country, uh, Bengala, needed it. Uh, so the opening scene where you've got Jungle Patrolman Buckley um, with the rhino and he sort of goes into, he, you know, the jeeps are all breaking down. Yeah. Uh, it then flowed on to a scene uh, between the Phantom and Warobu um, talking. Uh, and he sort of goes through about funding uh, and budget cuts, uh, and that scene was actually removed. Um, so it, it probably didn't have as much uh, emphasis as it as it should have uh, had. Um, but that was sort of where I was going with that. And then when you get to the scene with Tanya Meinhardt, and because um, I remember you said this last time, Steve, in the first review of part one. Um, you, I think you weren't too convinced uh, with the Phantom helping out a mining company. Um, I, I would, yeah, the way that I see it is the Phantom initially does say no, and and yes. then the, the president sort of goes, your hand is almost forced here. You know, it's not just the jungle yeah. patrol. It's public um, funding. So it's schools, mm. it's hospitals, it's a bigger problem, and you're also, you know, this is also to save lives. Uh, and not it's only lives a, yeah. on the boat, lives of people in your country that you are the saviour of. Um, so I think once the Phantom hears that, it gives him enough justification to yep. go, all right, I will help them. Um, and then we see a little bit later when uh, he's at the docks and Tanya is talking and he's you know, she's making a bit more emphasis on protecting uh, Captain Wong and also the the trade secrets, yep. um, which the Phantom just sort of flips as soon as he's on the boat. He's like, Captain Wong better be okay on his own because I've got a whole <laughs> shipload of people that I need to protect before one person. Yep, um, yeah. So that was the device, Steve, I was trying to use uh, to get um, the Phantom on a mining coal um, ship. Yeah, so that was page 96 and where the Phantom says, I'm not for sale, and then Luaga uh, says that, you know, we need the money, otherwise we've got to start shutting down the stuff. And then on the wharf, uh, which is actually in Australia, Abbott Point. That's right. Does that mean you're a uh, a Tony Abbott fan? (laughs) No, it's just one of the major ports where... uh, (laughs) Out oh, I just had to say that, mate. Um, cool. But never mind. And that was page 107 as well. It's okay to be a Tony Abbott fan. Um, does it make you also a budgie smuggler fan as well? Or I'll, I'll say it now on the record. I'm not a Tony Abbott fan. Um, I just want that, yeah, on the record. 
Anyway, thank you for your for um, your insights there, Dale. I, I, I can, my percentage is down to three percent. I'm about to drop off. So, um, um, thank, if I don't get to say it later, thank you for um, for joining us tonight. And um, yeah, I, I look forward. Is, is there any more stories in the pipeline? So I'm going to get this in before everyone else gets a chance to re- do their review. Uh, uh, look, at the moment there isn't, um, but hopefully. Um, down the line, there will be uh, something. But apart from the trade that has the coloured version of these stories, that's that's all I have in the pipe right now. But that no hopefully will change when the board game, board game comes out. No worries. <laughs> well, thank you, Stephen, for joining us. Thanks, oh, pleasure to be here. Uh, and quickly, say happy fandoming so you can sign off in your traditional <laughs> way. Happy fandoming, everyone. <laughs> Awesome. No worries. Thank you, Stephen, for that. Um, so, Dan, do you have any questions you want to, or maybe a quick review and then a, a question or two you would like to ask Dale as well? Um, probably a, a comment as much as anything else. I, I probably enjoyed part two of the story more than part one. But, I mean, that's typical of narratives because uh, that, that are across yeah. that sort of phase because part one is all about the setup and then part two is the, um, yeah, you know, the, the, where you get the payoff sort of thing. So part two, yeah, and we're talking about through 1823, of course, um, is where all the action happens and you get all of the excitement of the the, the, the cleaning up the boat and all of that sort of stuff, as, as we've talked about. One thing I did want to, to raise with you, Dale, and... Um, Germs already sort of alluded to it with budgie smugglers. Um, speaking of birds, I don't know. That, <laughs> I don't know that I've ever. Wow, that seen... is a huge, uh... huge leap, or yeah. <laughs> well, like, look, the segue would have worked uh, look, a lot like if you hadn't um, bloody interrupted. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I've seen a a phantom story where Fraka has had as much of a, of an influence, and and basically through through this part of the story, you've got Fraka um, almost um, in line with Devil in terms of a uh, an animal helper of the Phantom, and, and I really enjoyed yeah. it. That was the exact point of this story. Um, you know, we always see Devil and Hero as he's, you know, and, and obviously Diana, but um, the major sort of sidekicks. Uh, and when I was writing uh, Rise of the Red Dragon, I wanted to do something different. Uh, as I said before, um, you know, as, as a writer, I'm writing something new. I would just, how far can you push that boundary with mm. introducing new elements into something that's 80-odd years mm. old? Um, Frucker was actually in uh, the original trilogy, um, also the, the monkey male were as well. Um, and, you know, it was already on the boat, um, and Hero was not going to work yeah. uh, on the boat, uh, and I needed a few more. I needed him for devices um, because because I'm writing a sequel. Um, I real, uh, Sorry, a prequel. I really wanted it to lead directly into issue one, uh, yeah. and that yeah. real, that opening scene where you have the police officers sitting around discussing... Um, the Red Dragon Pirates, um, and then I just thought of the device of actually having Frucker uh, planting the the GPS um, locators on their boats, and that's that is the reason why um, they need to move from the South China Seas. Mm. So I wanted this story 
to explain why Princess Sin has decided to move base and go to Bengala. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then I was like, no one's done this before. As far as I'd known, Frucker isn't in it that much, is he? Was he only? He's only in a few stories, yeah, or and, and certainly not to my memory. And, and Jim, you can you can correct me with yeah, well, you're wrong. Do you want me to correct you? Um, well, I know of him mostly as a as a messenger bird, if you like. Um, is there other examples of when Fraker is there as a um, a wingman, if you'll pardon the pardon the pun? <laughs> uh, there's there two probably main stories: Rex and the Little People, which is uh, these are all Fork and Barry stories, and then also Kit and the Little People as well. But he, you know, Fraker plays a part in those characters in a sense more than just taking messages from A to B, but, you know, he's probably, he's never uh, taken on board a ship or taken out on an adventure never, like a hero or a devil. Of, part of the fight, so to speak. Yeah, well, and these two stories, uh, these two stories are kind of like lesser, yeah, so they're not, you know, he, he plays more of a part in those stories, but, you know, he's, yeah, he's not, uh, a, a main character mm. rather than a, a, a kind of like an overlooked character, mm. so to speak, in a lot of the others. And, and so I guess, um, Dale, what I'm saying... I think is it was that... Kit in The Little People where he played most of the part. Right. Well, I guess um, what I'm saying is someone who is a, uh, you know, uh, a card-carrying, shirt-wearing forkist that um, I really enjoyed the, the exploration of that character. Yeah. And it's probably not a character that I've ever really considered as um, one that could have this sort of a role. Um, and I would think that, I mean, we've already, you've already mentioned Paul Mason um, in the podcast. He's someone who, who loves his birds, and we, and we see the um, loric... Uh, I'm going to get the, the breed wrong, sorry, Paul, but the lorikeet... Um, cockatiel, is it? Cockatiel, or? you're right. Uh, make yep. an appearance right through Kid Phantom. Um, and so I'm sure he would have enjoyed this as well. But there'll be lots of fans who who enjoy um, seeing this character, who you almost don't even think of as a character because it's it's just a bird, mm. um, and yeah. suddenly suddenly it's there. So uh, my hat's off to you because that's something I would never have thought of, and I, I think that was uh, yeah. really well done. No, thank you. Yeah, and as I said before, how far can I push and have the focus? Still uh, approved. <laughs> so there you go. I've done it. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, you've done it for this there. one. Um, I think I think we made mention of uh, Fraka in the first part. Um, uh, but I, I guess do you, a question for you, Dale, is do you find it hard that your second part of the story came out 10 issues and in a sense, what is it, four months apart? Uh, look, not really. Um, you know, obviously it was all written at the same okay. time, um, and there is that two-page <laughs> opening recap. That's um, really well done. Which, that yeah, was really yeah, well I done because I, yeah. I didn't write that, obviously. Um, Glenn and the team uh, obviously created that using panels from the part one. Um, so, and it actually still makes sense. You can read just yeah. part two and get enough out of that recap to go, oh, yes. yeah, I know exactly what's happening. Obviously, you don't get the nuances um, of the whole story if you're not reading part one um, or at least part one straight after and then part two. Um, but that they did a good thing. And look, I can't control any of that, obviously. Mm. Um, so to me, it's it's neither here nor there. But um, in the end, it, it did only come out 10 issues later. I'm sure they have um, longer breaks in mm-hmm. 
Jason Paulus's other series, <laughs> uh, Gaslight. So when was the last time we saw a Gaslight um, issue? Yeah, we talked about that pretty extensively in, uh, uh, in our last yeah, podcast very good question. too. So it, it is a good question. Um, mm. The the no, I've lost where I was going with that one. Sorry. So were there any other? Um, so in looking at both, because from what I understand, part one and part two was your first story. Yeah, that's I wrote that before, uh, maybe a couple of months before I wrote the Child Soldiers in the Car. Yeah. So with uh, a little bit more insight into the writing process, hmm. uh, originally it was only one issue. Yeah. Um, and I'd written it up and sent it off, and Glenn and Jason suggested that it would actually work better as uh, two parts, um, which was fantastic because then Jason got to draw, you know, his splash pages and larger panels, but I also got to include additional scenes and really um, pad out uh, the characters, mm-hmm. uh, and then actually have uh, do, character development. Do you, you get paid more for? Sorry, do you get paid uh, I was just say, yeah. Do you get paid more? Um, yeah. You, you well, like, <laughs> yeah. Sure. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> Look, it wasn't my suggestion. It, it came from through. So yeah. I'll take whatever I can get. Well, I, honestly, I, I feel so incredibly privileged uh, to have written one story, uh, let alone three comics for through. Um, everything that Glenn has done for me is is just amazing. Um, working with Jason Paulus is really cool, uh, and having Phil Main mm. uh, do one of my stories is out of this world. So, and I guess yeah, my, my hat goes off to everyone at Through, and and I appreciate everything they do for me. And you're the two different you. artists as well. Mm. You're, Very you're different looking styles. down the barrel of being um, included, uh, having stories in two of the first four trade paperbacks as well, um, in terms of the Pirates of the Red Dragon coming out as a trade paperback too. So, um, pretty, pretty uh, elite company that you'll be in amongst. Yeah, yeah. Look, I've been self-publishing comics through White Cat Press since um, 2013, and um, yeah, obviously quite a few years ago in finally to be doing stuff on a licensed IP uh, is incredible. And um, mm. I do not take it for granted. So, yeah, very privileged and happy to be here. So when I asked about this being your first story compared to your second story, like where do you think as a phantom creator, like do you, uh, do you feel like you've, like, like, where's your progress as a writer, but also as like a, as a phantom writer between these two stories? Like, do you see a bit of a progress? Uh, it, look, in all honesty, it, it's probably a little bit too hard to gauge. Um, when I'm writing, this is a prequel, right? Rise of the Red mm. Dragon, um, and Child Soldiers of Mikara is a sequel. Uh, so when you're having to write something with restrictions. Um, your hand is probably forced a little bit. That's true. Um, you know, like, okay, so Glenn uh, asked me to, Glenn had read my book Ink Tales uh, and we were doing the board game together and he asked me if I wanted to write Rise of the Red Dragon or a prequel to that trilogy. Um, but then I had to do all these other things, right? Um, so I had to create a backstory for Waldo and Orkan. 
Mm. Uh, And this is originally in one issue. So you're looking at four to six pages just on backstory of two characters. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and then I had to also write it so it led into a well-known sort of uh, famous trilogy. So, you know, my, my hand was sort of forced a little bit in what I could write. And same for the sequel, you know, I am writing with prior knowledge of something that's been written. Um, that's true. And look, you know what? They are only a few months apart as well. So in terms of growth, um, there's probably not too much because of all the things that I had to think of. Hmm. Uh, if I had a chance to write uh, a story on its own without any prequel or sequel sort of working, um, I think that's where you'd see uh, some growth. But what, this, yeah. what, what is that challenge like? Because, again, uh, referring to something that Paul Mason has, has um, talked to us about on the podcast, about playing in the sandbox um, of the Phantom, but you're also being told which toys to play with um, and how the game ends in terms of a prequel and that sort of thing. So, Just uh, setting them up for marriage. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, Look, it's, there's some people very probably clear... find it easier, Dan, um, yeah. because there's less less moving parts, right? Right. Um, I, I enjoy it because it's it's problem solving, isn't it? How can I write an interesting mm. story and also serve these other um, aspects, like setting up characters and stories and lead-ins? Mm. Uh, and also, you know, 22 pages is not a lot. Mm. No, it's quite a little um, amount of space to work with. So, mm. do you think it takes a a, a a better writer to be able to write a story that's enjoyable now but also fits with all of these um, uh, boundaries that you've been given? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, definitely. Um, As a writer, I do a lot of research, um, you know, looking into the other stories and and getting you guys to help me as well. Like, you know, how many times have we spoken uh, over Messenger just so I can get... Every day, isn't it? It's almost every day, yeah. Um, You're like my second wife. It's all three of you, though. (laughs) I'm not going to choose favourites. Good man. (laughs) Yeah. Look, it's, it's... You know, I enjoy the challenge, honestly, and I'm getting to do something, I guess, professionally. Yeah. For what I love. No, that's that's good. I, and, um, and I must I, say, I did really enjoy the fact that the, the way that Rise of the Red Dragon Part Two um, finished, and and it reminded me of how um, the Princess in Star Saga started. And and I think that once mm-hmm. those are all run together, uh, and you talked before in the trade paperback about um, you know one story finishes and the next one's on the next page, I think it'll run together really smoothly at that point. So yeah, um, that, that I guess that was going to be part of the question about. How how in depth and and how detailed do you need to know um, the story that you're writing apart for? Like you know, how many times did you you pour over the slave market of Makar? How how in depth did you know the Princess Sinstarga before you you know you can write in that world? Yeah, I I um, as a writer I do something where I actually get a notebook out. Um, and I'll have read the comic quite a few times. Mm. Um, and then I'll actually write out the stories uh, in point form, and yeah. I'll go through with a highlighter, okay. uh, and I'll actually highlight key moments or key characters or items, 
um, and I will then try to work those in, um, trying to, I guess, connect the dots. Um, and also, it just it it's creates a more well-round story uh, mm-hmm. when a, you've got a lot of sort of aspects from previous stories sort of feeding into it and go, oh, yeah, cool. This is going to lead into that, or he yeah. says this line because it was mentioned, and mm. you know, Fracker's here, and then you see Fracker there. Mm. Um, so when I'm writing and creating a premise, I will have read it, the previous material, many times written out, highlighted, and then I'll come up with multiple um, storylines or premises mm. and and choose the one that that fits. Mm. And also, you know, when you're coming up with a premise, uh, sometimes it's not a 22-page premise. You know, you've just created something that's double double that. Uh, you need to go back to the drawing board and see what you can actually take out. Mm. Yes. Um, how do you change things? How, how can you be uh, economic with your writing? Mm. Oh, do you find that's... that's the hardest thing is to take out because it's like you're almost killing off one of your children? Uh, maybe. I Look, I did when I first started. Uh, not anymore. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I've, you know... I've self-published five or so comics yeah, and I've true. written a lot. And also, you know, I, I've written short films and a feature and many other things. So mm. I've been writing for a long time. So not now, mm. but definitely back then. Yeah, because I know I've just recently uh, written an article for uh, an overseas publisher. And like, I wrote it without being told the, the limit. And then I was told the limits. And then it took me just as long to edit to get under that limit than what yeah. it did to actually write the article. And it you know, felt like, oh, I do not want to get rid of that line. I like that line. and So I can only imagine what it will be like. Yeah, so that's that's where you, you know, kill your darlings, mm. basically. Basically comes mm. into it. Wow. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed some of those questions, that insight regarding stories. Um, I know I did. Mm. Uh, I'm sure uh, Dan and Steve did as well. I think we might have to do it for a... Another couple, another couple of stories. What do you reckon, Dan? Oh, it's absolutely um, fascinating um, being able to talk to, and I so appreciate you you coming on board, Dale, yeah. and, and and you know um, putting up with us talking about a bunch of other stories that are not yours in order for us to be able to get to, because uh, the insight and, and Stephen made mention about being an English teacher and teaching people how to write and that sort of thing, and and this sort of conversation to find out how it's actually done in the real world by a professional and with the experience that yeah. you've got. Um, you know, all those little insights and all those little tips and tricks about, you know, dot pointing a story and finding the beats, finding the um, the important points to, to come back yep. to, all of those things, and especially when you're, you're dealing with a, uh, an intellectual property or a character that's been around for 80 plus years, there's so many little things to pick up on um, and, and to, to drop in. And, um, you know, the, the, the challenge is huge for, for someone who wants to to step into the Phantom Universe and, and, and write something that, as you say, um, focuses and, and fans who have been reading lots and lots of stories for, for forever, um, they'll crucify you if you get something wrong. Um, yeah, you know, exactly. So. Well, they've been reading it, most of them have been reading it for their whole lives, haven't they? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, yep. no, just, re- look at the, yeah, just look at the cover with the ring on the wrong finger. Yeah, exactly. Suddenly, the message, exactly. The, the, the message from the publisher is, um, you know, a column and a half of, of, of apologies. So, um, no, I really appreciate you coming on, Dale, and um, and, and taking us through that. It's uh, it's absolutely fascinating. Thank you. No, cheers.
Thank you, mate. I really appreciate it. Um, look forward to your next adventure. And, can um, I just, can I quickly just, I know I keep sort of jumping in no. with little tidbits here and there. I was going to say, um, I just want to do a massive shout out to Jason Paulus. Um, he's a fantastic artist and I mentioned the post that I said before where I've bought some original art from him. Um, I would wreck if you like his stuff, um, contact him. Um, cause he is selling, uh, most of his phantom pages, if not all, um, you can actually contact him on Jason Paulus at bigpond.com and that's Paulus is P A U L O S. Um, get in contact with him because I'm sure, um, you can own some incredible pages, which is mm. really adds to your collection. Your fan, if you're a hardcore phantom fan, um, some Jason pages, mm. Will not go you do get the feeling that with Jason, uh, you, you need to get in on the ground floor now because um, he, he's not. This isn't going to be the end of his phantom work, and it's only going to um, become more sought after. I would have thought. And probably 100%. more expensive. <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Definitely. No worries, uh, Dan. Anything more you want to say to Dale apart from saying uh, good dress rehearsal for? If we ever decide to trade out the other the other third, no. Yeah, in terms of um, your preseason training um, for for the upcoming <laughs> trade, uh, being drafted, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. um, and and I really um, look forward to to. I'm sure we'll speak to you again um, come February uh, March as the as the game gets launched. And um, really looking part, uh, forward to um, trying to promote that and, and build that mm. with you as as much as we can in in whatever way that we can. Yes. Yeah, it's exciting times ahead for me and um, every Phantom fan, I think. Hmm. Yes, exactly. And we'll what we'll probably do is all the tidbits that you made mentioned in right. what two hours ago, <laughs> whenever it was, um, we'll probably we'll put up in a its own individual post as well, yeah. and we'll continue to do that as soon as we know something, as soon as we have dates, as soon as Kickstarter started, we'll be all over it like a um, whatever. Uh, phrase you want to uh, <laughs> you want to use, but we'll be all over it. It's hard to know what's politically correct enough to say anymore, it. isn't it? <laughs> well, that's it. Maybe we'll just leave it there. Um, but no, thank you, Dan. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, just uh, everything. Um, so yeah, I, I appreciate you coming on, giving us a bit of an insight, and spending some time with us. No problem, anytime, guys. Alright, thanks, Dan. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Dan and Jermaine, for wrapping up the podcast when my devices failed on me. And great big shout-out to Dal McCanty for um, giving us some more information on the Phantom board game. Every time we speak with you, you always whet our appetites that little bit more. Um, and also thank you for um, being a part of our review of the Phantom Trade paperback and for your wonderful insights in your writing process. I've really found that interesting, and I hope everyone listening to the podcast did too. A big shout-out to Kaboom Comics for your support recently. Also, thank you to our Patreons, whom without we, we really couldn't get this off the ground. There is always more stuff coming into the into the P3 every month. In fact, I think there's nearly... I, probably, I shouldn't say weekly updates, but it seems that way, the, the, the amount that we talk about it. Um, the map that was mentioned in this uh, podcast is up there on the P3. Come and check it out. It's been... A labour of love for, for Jermaine. He's put a, a, a stack of work into it. And um, we, I hope, we really hope that you appreciate it. Um, so thank you once again to all our Patreons. 
Um, once again, you can always check out our website, chroniclechamber.com, for all the latest news on everything that is The Phantom. And if you have some news on anything that's a phantom that you'd like to contact us with, well, you can hit us up on our email, which is chroniclechamber at gmail.com, or check us out on social media. On Facebook, we have Chronicle Chamber Phantom Fan Page and the Phantom Collector Group. Um, hit us up on Twitter at Chronicle Tweets and Instagram at Chronicle Chamber. Of course, if you're listening to this, you, you're somehow familiar with podcasting. How, if you've somehow stumbled upon us, well, please subscribe to us. You can subscribe to, subscribe to us on iTunes or your favourite podcast app such as Podbean, Castbox, Castbox Player FM, etc. So, without much further ado, I'll sign off and wish you all happy phantoming. 500 years ago, he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck. And upon the skull of the man who killed his dad, he said, I'm mad, I must eradicate piracy, injustice and cruelty. And all my sons will follow me, so evildoers will believe that this man cannot die. The Phantom! The ghost who walks. The Phantom! Enemies beware, the Phantom's always there, but you won't find the Phantom. 